Do we take for granted the freedoms that we have? Do we understand what is ours as a nation? One nation under God? Are we really one nation under God, or is it just simply a myth? You see, our founders, it was important to them that we were one nation under God. And I think it's important for us as a church to proudly hold up God. But you see, it's not enough just to say it with our lips. We must live it with our life. Our lives, our lives must be transformed by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit if we are truly going to be one nation under God. I'm afraid for our nation and its freedoms. But God's Word provides for us hope. For my Lord is the same yesterday and today and forever. And the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus is not dependent upon our circumstances or our situation. Oh, we're grateful to be a part of a nation that celebrates freedom. But there have been many over the years who have not had these freedoms that we have today. And yet Christ's Word was true to them then as it is true today. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. This is actually a text I've preached from before, but the message today is completely different. Matthew chapter 22. I hope you brought your Bibles today. It's important for you to bring the Word of God with you so that you know what the preacher is saying up here is true. Don't just trust the PowerPoint, but we will provide that for you each week. The title of this morning's message is The Price of Freedom. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Stay right there. Jesus is speaking in the temple, and he's directing his message to the religious leaders of that day. The king in this story is God the Father. The son is the Lord Jesus Christ. The servants were the prophets that had come before the Messiah. Those who had been invited were the people of Israel. But they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants. These servants would have been the disciples. And this is more of a prophetic message. The disciples, the apostles, Paul, and, and, and the early church. And said to tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and one went off to his field and another to his business. The rest seized his servants. And of course, again, this is prophetic, speaking about what would happen to the early church and their persecution. The king was enraged and he sent his army to destroy those murderers and burn their city 
which is exactly what happened in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed by Titus. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone, anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. You see, this man deemed his own self-righteousness as enough, all that he needed, to enter into the feast that was prepared for him. But he was thrown out. Then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, hell is the end result of self-righteousness. We cannot earn our salvation. It is a free gift from God, one we must accept. All of us have friends who just simply believe that if I'm good enough, I'll make it. But you see, the reality is God offers to us a free gift that we must accept. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. Then the Scripture goes on to say in verse 14, For many are invited, but few are chosen. You see, the, extent, the invitation is extended to all mankind, but very few choose to respond favorably to the call. Jesus also said it this way in Matthew 7, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few Find it. You see, the price of freedom has always been death. Patriots won our nation's freedom by giving their lives to secure it. Many others over the years have given their lives to preserve it. And I want to say thank you to every man and every woman who has served in harm's way or served in any way in the military, to protect our freedoms. Thank you. Thank you. I do not want to take this freedom of our nation for granted. The price of freedom has always been death. You see, it was Patrick Henry who said, Give me liberty or give me death in 1775. And these words really resound with us on this day, this day where we celebrate our national freedom as Americans, especially at this time when we celebrate with fireworks and pageantry all that God has provided for us as a nation. But can we truly say that we have liberty? Do we really know what it means to be free? You see, I think it's hard for us to comprehend our liberty because most of us have never lived under the hard hand of tyranny. And because of that, we take for granted, I'm afraid, far too often 
the freedom that is ours as a nation, as a people. Those who have lived under tyranny and have come here and moved to this country will testify again and again, but you don't understand the freedoms that you have. Oh, I'm worried about the freedom of our nation today. I I read this week that our, our, our economic freedom has dropped two places this year alone, from sixth place to eighth place, Hong Kong being the highest and now Canada and Switzerland have dropped, uh, jumped ahead of us. We are becoming less economically free as a nation. We hear on the radio how some schools are taking the Pledge of Allegiance out of their schools because they don't want to say one nation under God. It was in the 60s they took prayer out of the schools. And we see as a nation how we're losing some of the freedoms that were brought to us because of our faith in God. Every single one of our universities was started upon Christian principles in the early days. Harvard, Yale, all put Christ first in the beginning. All were taught by clergy till the mid-1800s. Give me liberty or give me death. For Patrick Henry, there was only these two options. But you see, for us, spiritually, there really is only two options as well. One is spiritual liberty, or the other choice is spiritual death. The price of spiritual freedom, well, it's death. Christ paid the ultimate price for you and for me so that we might have life and have it to its full. God the Father gave His one and only Son for you and and for me. And so the price of freedom is very expensive. It cost God His one and only Son. But He died for you and He died for me so that we might have life and have it to its full. But if we are going to truly understand what it means to truly be liberated from the power of sin over our lives, we too must be willing to die. Matthew 16.25 says it this way, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. In this parable, we find that the invitation of Christ is an invitation to joy. This past week, I wasn't here on uh, Sunday. I was gone Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. We went to Minnesota. My nephew, who played for Ohio State, he was a starting right guard for Ohio State, married a hockey player. Now, when you think of a hockey player, you think of some big girl who's kind of a bruiser. She's probably missing part of her front teeth. And, uh, but this gal, she was just just little tiny thing, probably 5'3", five, 5'4", five, skinny as she could be, strong. Uh, was a starter for Iowa State, and the two of them have made a lot of good decisions. They bought a house together last year, but they didn't live together like so many other people in our day. Ben and his brother and a couple other guys lived in an apartment, while Krista and a couple of hockey players lived there in the house. And they've made good decisions. They've been a part of a church plant, and they're putting God first. And so when we came together for the wedding, it was a celebration. Two lives who are equally yoked, listening to the voice of God, 
coming together. You see, the parable here tells us that the invitation of Christ is an invitation to joy. It's to a feast. It's to a wedding feast. It's a joyous occasion. And that's what Christ invites us to. It's to joy. You see, through salvation, Christ liberates us from the penalty of sin. We are just justified by we are justified and our sinful record is cleared. All charges against us are dropped. We are forgiven. We are made as if just as if we had never sinned. We are justified because of what Christ has done for us on a cross and he offers us this new life in him. The righteousness of Christ is then credited to our account. You see, there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There's no good works. I can't make it on my own. I must accept the free gift of God to be justified. And then He not only takes my sin and throws them away, but He offers me this new garment of righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It's His righteousness. And the penalty of sin is then satisfied. But God does not leave us there. You see, He gives us the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And through the Holy Spirit's sanctifying power, we then can be liberated from sin. Sin has held its power over us for many, many years. Those of us who were not believers, who were not raised in the church, who lived in a way that was ungodly, we developed sinful habits and sinful ways of thinking, sinful ways of reacting to the problems and the situations of this world. And somehow we need to learn to live like people who have been set free, who have been given a new life in Christ. How does that happen? It happens through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives through His sanctifying power in our lives, as we submit to His leadership in our lives. You see, when I first became a Christian, the Lord began to talk to me about some things I shouldn't do. First thing was, Rex, you need to clean up your language. And so I accepted Christ, and I began to walk this direction, and the Lord talked to me. And that was kind of hard. matter of fact, it took years for the Lord to purify that from my mind. And I came to this point about a year into this Christian life where the Lord spoke to me and He called me into ministry and I, and I wrote in my Bible, I wrote in the, in the front of my little green Bible, I put, the Lord has called me today into full-time Christian service, whatever that means. I didn't know it. See, I was such a babe in Christ. I was just immature and the Lord was working with me and teaching me and helping me to understand what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And up until this point, I felt like being a Christian was all the things we don't do. And at that day, on that day, I realized being a Christian is the privilege that we have to be an influence, to be salt and light in our world. And there was something different all of a sudden in my life. And I said, Lord, you know, for a long time, I've been running the ship. I invited you in a year ago, and I accepted you as my Savior and Lord, but I'm... I'm the master of my ship. I'm, I've got control of the wheel. And on that day, I said, Lord, I'm tired. I'm trying to live life my way. 
And I said, Lord, I want you to have all of me. And I gave him things hands down. pastor preached him a similar message, and I said, that's what I want. I want to give you everything. And I gave him everything. And I said, I want you to take charge of the wheelhouse, and I'll step over here and let you have complete control and complete reign of my life. You see, that's the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'm afraid that far too many of us do not experience the liberty that is ours in Christ Jesus because we're trying to run the show. God liberates us from the power of sin. It's not a once and for all experience. It's a continual process where God speaks to us. When I went to college, he spoke to me about my prejudices. I, there, there was a sociology professor there, and he said, uh, all of us have prejudices. My response to that was, I'm, I'm not prejudiced. What are you talking I like everybody. And he started talking about our prejudices. You know, some of you only sit in certain sections in the cafeteria. I thought, well, that's me. I only sit in... Some of you only talk to a certain group of people. Yeah, I kind of only talk to the athletes. And, and He said, you know, as Christians, we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And there should be something transforming about that in our lives. And I began to realize I was prejudiced. I, I didn't include everybody. I didn't love everyone equally. And the Lord began to deal with me in that. And so I said, Lord, you can take that. And then he talked to me about my anger. And then my jealousy. And along the way. You see, there's this continual process of submitting to the power and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And you see, as we're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, as we allow His sanctifying power to work in us, there is this renewing of the mind. And the Holy Spirit helps us to become more and and more like Christ. And the more we follow Christ, the less influence sin will have on our lives or ought to have. So the first point is the invitation of Christ is an invitation to joy. It's an invitation to become all that God has created you to be. The second is this, that the things that make men deaf to the invitation of Christ are not necessarily bad in themselves. One went to his field, another to his harvest. You see, the other to his business. You see, sometimes it's the good things in life that get in the way of that which is best. Sometimes we get so preoccupied with the things of time that we forget the things of eternity. Sometimes we get so involved in our occupation trying to make a living that we fail to provide a place for God. You see, the issue is, is God first in your life? Really, is, is God first? Or is He just out here somewhere? I've accepted Christ, but He's just out. He's not really first. Is He first in your life? Or are your athletics more important to you than God? You see, we're never going to have the liberty that is ours in Christ Jesus if, there, if He is not first in our life. Is your occupation more important to you than God? Is, is, your, uh, is your relationships, are they more important to you than God? You see, the Scripture says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it.
Has it ever occurred to you every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another? Every time you say yes to one thing, you say no to something else. According to the 2000 census, the number of unmarried couples living together had increased tenfold from 1960 to 2000. With more than two-thirds of married couples in the U.S. stating that they had lived together prior to marriage. However, cohabitating couples are twice as likely for their marriage to end in divorce. Let's just be real honest. There's a lot of people today who are crossing the line of sin. And it's perfectly acceptable in our society. No one questions it. And yet that issue is, where's God? Is He first in your life? Is that exhibited by your actions, by your decisions, by life itself? When we cross this line, you're cheating on your future spouse. And you're living outside of God's standard. Basically building your life on a foundation of sin that if not confessed, will follow you into your marriage. Your future marriage. Sadly, much of our world has not chosen the blessings of God. Are you putting God first? You say, well, I'm here, aren't I? Are you here because of self-righteousness? Or are you here because of His righteousness? Have you experienced the transforming grace of God in your lives? Do you have that personal relationship with Him? Galatians 6, 8 says, The one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You see, at the essence of sin, that which keeps us from the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus, the essence of sin is self-centeredness or selfishness. While regeneration, salvation breaks the tyranny of self-centeredness or selfishness, it's the Holy Spirit that can, when we submit to the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, that we fully grasp what He has for us and find the deliverance of self-interest. I want you to consider with me a story found in Genesis chapter 16. It's the story of Abram and Hagar and Sarai. The story illustrates how someone devoted to the law can be far from the purpose of God. As this chapter begins, Abram is 85 years of age and Sarai is 75. Ten years had passed since God had promised Abram that he would have children. He would be a father of many nations. And, and all this time, Sarai was barren. And so they decide to take matters in their own hands. Sarai goes to Abram and says, Take my servant, girl Hagar, and sleep with her. Maybe she can have children for us. You see, it was perfectly acceptable by law. It was common for this to happen. As a matter of fact, the law provided an opportunity if you did not have children 
and you had a servant, you could bring your servant to your husband and your servant could have children for you. It's like having a surrogate parent in the U.S. today. I know in some states that that's perfectly legal. And so it was perfectly acceptable for Abram and Sarai and Hagar to do this. Well, she became pregnant with child. And, and Hagar and Sarai, they began to despise one another. And Abram said, just treat her the way you want. She's your servant. Do with her as you please. And so she treated her very harshly. So much so that Hagar left. And she went out to the desert. And while she was there in the desert, an angel came to her and said, you are with child and you're going to have a son and you're going to name this son Ishmael. Now go back and submit to the authority of your mistress. So being obedient to the angel, she went back and, and submitted to the authority of, of Sarai. And of course, we know the rest of the story. Thirteen years later, uh, Sarah, Sarai becomes Sarah, and she uh, has a child. His name is Isaac. Consider this. Abram was doing what he knew was right in the law. But God calls us not to do merely what is right. You see, the law provides a lot of things for us in this world. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. But He calls us to be a people who are surrendered to the working of the will of God in our lives. Philippians 2.13 puts it this way, For it is God who works in you to will and act according to His good purpose. Isaac had 12 sons and Ishmael had 12 sons. Isaac's 12 sons had families. They became, became kings and had kingdoms and they owned a great deal of the Middle East and as well as Ishmael. So Abram got everything that through Hagar that he got through Sarai except for the one thing the long-awaited Messiah. You see, the promise of God was for Isaac. Ishmael was the child of Abraham's perfect conformity to the law, while Isaac was the child of God's perfect fulfillment of His promise. You see, the point of this is where God does not act, nothing is ultimately redemptive. And if we're going to be the people of God that God has called us to be, we must be people who are willing to submit to His will and His leadership in our lives. Philippians 2.13 makes a little more sense then. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to His good purpose. You think about the century-old conflict between Isaac, the Jews, and the descendants of Ishmael, the Muslims, and we think about our own human reasoning. How often do we take matters in our own hands? We, we think that we know best instead of being obedient and trusting God for the future that He has for us. 
One went to his field, another to his harvest. If we're not careful, we, we may let that, let that which is good get in the way of that which is best. Is there anything that's more important to you than God? Is God first in your life? The third point is this. It's the garment of righteousness. In the parable of the wedding banquet, the majority of those who came were wearing wedding clothes. This is in reference to the garment of righteousness that Christ gives to each of us. You see, when we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord, He takes the old and He gives us the new. And the new is His righteousness. It's not our own. It was bought at a price. And we have a new life in Christ Jesus how many of you have felt like you deserve this righteousness? You see, we're not deserving. We're sinners saved by God's grace. And God's grace provides for us this life and this new life in Christ through the power and the presence of His Holy Spirit in our lives. Corinthians says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I like the words found in Galatians chapter 3, 27. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Paul says then in Colossians, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. God provides us this new life in Christ. But I want you to go back to the end of the story in Matthew and the parable. When the king came in to see his guests, verse 11, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. How many of us attend church in our own self-righteousness. You see, there's going to be a judgment someday, and our self-righteousness is not going to cut it. It doesn't matter how good we are, it doesn't matter how many good things we do in this life, our garment is never going to be good enough. We cannot earn our salvation. All we can do is, acknowledge, do is acknowledge that Christ has paid the price for us and accept His free gift to us. You see, I'm afraid that far too many of us do not experience the liberty that is ours in Christ because we want to run the show ourselves. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The price of freedom. It's the title of this message. It's the question for you today. Are you willing to accept the price that was paid for your freedom? the liberating power from the bondage and the burden of sin 
in your life? Pastor Ager is going to come and we're going to sing Glorious Freedom. And I, and I want to do two things this morning as we close. That's this. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, three things. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, today is the day of salvation. You can know the liberty that is yours in Christ Jesus today. You can have a freedom that you did not know was possible. Maybe you've accepted Christ, but you're not living. You're still living and putting Christ in your life, but you're, you're in control and you're not doing a very good job of it. You know the story of Abram? If I was God, I would say, Abram, you blew it, forget it. But it's really a story of grace. You see, the truth is we've all blown it at one time or another. And God extends His grace. And the covenant He promised, the covenant He delivered to Isaac. We're imperfect. But our Heavenly Father wants to give us the perfecting power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to empower us and liberate us to be His people. And if we're going to make a difference in our nation and in the kingdom of God, there must be something changed in us. We must be able to celebrate the glorious freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. The third thing I want to do this morning is after we have just to sing through the song once or twice, however we feel led, I want to sing the song and I want us to come together and I want us to pray as a people of God for our nation that we would celebrate the freedoms that are ours, that were bought at a great price by men and women who have gone before us for our nation's freedom, but the freedoms, most importantly, that are ours because of Christ Jesus. So we're going to sing the song once, maybe twice, and they open the altars. And if God is speaking to you today, and you know, you know you're not where you ought to be, and you're miserable, good, You see, the Scripture doesn't mess around. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And your self-righteousness is not going to cut it. Just because you attended church is not going to cut it. The Scripture says, take him out and throw him out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And maybe you've been standing in your own self-righteousness righteousness and you need to say Lord forgive me and cleanse me maybe you've been trying to run this ship on your own and and today you just want to give it to the Lord and say Lord I'm tired take full reign and control of my life use me as you choose let's sing this song together let's stand